Hello, and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with two amazing guests, Jeff Buck, CEO of Roebling, and Graham McVie, who's the Managing Director of Data Science and Analytics at Logic Information Systems. In this episode, they discuss how to bridge industry silos, the difference between data science and engineering, their takes on current technology trends, and much more. So please enjoy this interview between Jeff Buck, Graham McVie, and your host, Steve Hamm. So welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. We've got two guests today. We've got Jeff. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. And we've got Graham. Thank you, Steve. I'm happy to be on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And in case anybody has any doubt about it, Graham is the guy with the Scottish accent. So you'll know that going forward. Let's start with you, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about Roebling. When and why did you and your colleagues start the company? What was the problem that it was set up to solve? And how does it solve it? And also, why is the cloud so important? We started in late 2018. And this is the second time that we built a company in this space. So we really have been doing this for over 20 years. The the problem that we're after is the global issue of data silos. And retail has it bad and it isn't getting any better because retail is getting more and more complex. At the heart of it is truly getting an overall view of the business and enabling information sharing across the business. And what happens when you don't do this is that your most valuable people, the ones that make decisions with millions of dollars of inventory and labor costs, are burdened with unreal, mind-numbing, and soul-crushing spreadsheet work to integrate data from disparate systems. So it is fun because we're changing lives by giving access to to data, resulting in these aha moments or, or insight. For instance, when was the last time you made a quarter of a million dollars with one decision in one weekend? That's what our analytics can do. The cloud is so important for two reasons. One, no matter what new advances in database performance, you'll always hit a wall related to the physical machine. It just has a limit. The cloud has solved the processing bottlenecks because of a near-infinite expansion of compute and storage. Although the database technology had to be redesigned to use resources in this way, Snowflake has done that. And there's only a few others that have even come close to to the elegance that they've done it with. So storage for data warehousing purposes is cheap and compute is elastic, which fits the model nicely for retail because usage is so spiky. And number two is that the next frontier in analytics is integrating external data with the internal data. And and the cloud makes this very, very easy. So every day we are opening eyes to sharing across business partners, like the relationship between retailers and CPG and manufacturing, and also augmenting our understanding of customers through all the information available from third-party data providers and digital properties that are also rich in customer data. Well, that's a big job and such a young company. It's great that you're doing this thing. Now, you talked about silos being the problem in the industry. So it's, it's silos within companies, but also silos between companies that you're really bridging between. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. And that's what enhances the experience all around through better manufacturing of products, more targeted advertising, and then a, a product design that is influenced by a more complete understanding of what the customer wants. 
Now let's move to, to Graham for a second here. Now, Graham, you're at Logic. It's a global retail technology consulting firm, and it partners with Roebling, Snowflake, and others. Tell us about your company and the nature of your partnerships, in particular with Roebling and Snowflake. Yeah, sure thing, Steve. So thanks for having us on. So Logic has been around for about 25 years, and we spent the entirety of that time working with retailers to help them with their technology needs. Some of our clients refer to us as the largest retail-focused technology consulting firm that they've worked with. And over that time, we've grown to work with about 150 different retailers across every retail vertical from the, the food, drug, mass side through hard goods across the soft goods, apparel, uh, home furnishings, and that sort of retailing. And we've worked in every geographic region across the planet. And this has largely been driven by the needs of the retailer. Back in the, the day, retailers largely just had technology that helped them with back-end systems, financial processing, and purchase orders and those things. But along came the barcodes in the, the mid-70s, and all of a sudden, there was this explosion of data that retailers had access to. They knew exactly what items sold, when it sold, where it sold and what the price was. And that impacted all the different areas of the business from the supply chain with the inventory levels and the stock levels through to all the merchandising decisions about how you price and how you promote and mark down to what items you carry in every single store. And then that moved further forward into the process, the marketing. And now we're seeing it manifest itself through store operations and the e-commerce side of things and even into customer interactions with digital capabilities. And a lot of retailers have had to grow their IT and technology capabilities to try and keep up with that so they can compete successfully in the marketplace and, and satisfy customer needs. Some retailers that I've worked with have several thousand members of their IT teams and others don't have quite the same resources, but they all need help with understanding what is the right technology strategy, what are the best technology decisions they should be making, and then how do they successfully implement those solutions so that they can enable the decision makers to make the best possible decision for the shoppers. And that's where Logic comes in. We help all of our clients across all the different elements of the technology stack. We help them make strategic decisions. We help them with implementing. We help them with supporting. And we try and keep them at the forefront of the technology revolution so they can continue to satisfy their customer needs better than the competition. Yeah, yeah. Now, you have a lot of of partnership relationships with those you talked about on the different uh, tech vendors in particular are, are the ones with Roebling and Snowflake any different than the others or how would you characterize those? We've seen a significant increase in retailers needs around data and analytics as Jeff talked about in the old day there was a lot of sort of on-premise behind the firewall type solutions but those were limited by what was on the box. We're starting to see that retailers are needing access to greater and greater amounts of data and as Jeff talked about, there's oftentimes data was in different silos and retailers need to bring that data together. You can no longer have your sales data in one system, your customer data in another system, and your inventory data in another system. You need to bring all of those components together and you need to do it in a very timely fashion, at a very granular level. Roebling and Snowflake enable all of that for our clients. Snowflake's cloud-based system with their elastic storage and compute, as Jeff talked about, enable us to bring together all those different elements so that the retailer can gain that full 360-degree picture of their business, of their customers, of the competitive marketplace. And then the Roebling solution puts all of that in a format, in a consistent way, that everybody is talking from one source of the truth. 
Everybody knows what each metric means. Everybody's talking about the latest data from the latest data sources. So there's no longer any discrepancies between what the merchandising team is saying versus store operations versus marketing versus supply chain. They're all on the same page. They're all looking at the same data, the same metrics, the same calculations. So it makes the whole organization far more efficient. So we've seen a lot of interest from retailers around the world who need help in understanding how do they deal with these issues and how do they migrate to a cloud-like environment where they've got that elastic storage and compute and they can get consistency of their data and their metrics. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Hey, I want to go back to you, Jeff, though, and let's let's go a little deeper on the on the partnership. I understand that these two companies, Roebling and Logic, have deep personal connections going back more than a decade. Talk about that personal connection, those personal connections, and talk about how that helps the partnership. Yes. So some of the the executives of Logic and Roebling, we, we actually started our careers in the same place over 20 years ago. That grounded us in analytics. And then we have both grown up in the retail space, focusing our, our analytics attention on that industry. So the combination is really important because because of our focus in retail and Logic's focus in retail, we can come together by Roebling producing the product and Logic then then focusing on the customer implementations. And so we we both have developed a lot of skill and expertise in, in, in our respective areas. And then when we come together, it's like music for for our customers. Okay, all right. No, that's that's great. I I know that there are a number of data integration vendors like you make connectors that integrate a wide variety of data types from a wide variety of sources into cloud data warehouses. Some of them are kind of broad across industry. Some are particular industry. So talk to us about how you fit in. So most of the integration companies or the connectors, as you call it, make it easier to move data from one place to another. And we at Roebling leverage those. So, so we, don't, we don't really compete with those companies. We partner with those companies when it's appropriate. The, the problem is it's, it's not enough just to get the information from those disparate systems into one place. It's truly a data engineering problem meaning that you have to stitch this data together in a way that makes it intuitive for users and that it solves the business problems. So Roebling is an industry vertically focused business, which means that we hone our products specifically like personalization to the retail and CPG industry. Mm -hmm. So we don't stop at the first level of integration. We see it all the way to cross-functional insight that solves business problems and creates competitive advantage for our customers. Maybe it'd be helpful for an example. Would that help? Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. There was a great example recently when retailers had to shutter their stores and inventory was left stranded in those stores. Nobody was coming to the stores. Right. So what they did is they turned that inventory to the digital channel where everybody was going to shop from their homes and then they'd ship the inventory from the stores. So even, even though they knew that would be more expensive, but at least they would be utilizing that inventory, turning the inventory and serving the customer. Well, no uh, good deed goes unpunished, as they say. Many of these transactions were unprofitable. We analyzed some orders that actually shipped from 15 or 17 different stores, resulting in a huge loss for that transaction. Right. 
And the fix is to stop these orders from being placed. But how do you do that? And what information are you going to use? Without understanding the magnitude of the problem, they can't make a good decision that doesn't also hurt customers and the whole business. And it would require data from the ERP system, from the order management system, from fulfillment to actually put that together. So before Roebling, this was impossible, just impossible. And now decision makers can see the entire order flow from what we call click, where they, where they originated the order online to door, click to door. They were able to pinpoint the level of orders by gross margin of the products and the split shipment status to make adjustments to the order management algorithm. And this is what I was talking about before. This one decision saved over $240,000 in one weekend. So the idea is that some of the order fulfillment could be done from stores, but on the fly, because of your technology, they were able to to decide, oh, this one is profitable, we'll do it that way, or this one isn't, we'll take that out of our normal inventory or I mean, warehouse inventory or something like that. Is, right. Am I understanding well, correctly? Okay. Exactly. Well, retail is complex already. Yeah. And then when you, when you have distributed inventory that you expose to the online channel and then fulfilled from all of those different store locations, it, I mean, it's a, it's a total spaghetti mess. And so it's super, super complex. And so what we help them do is, is kind of sift through that to see what, what kind of decision they need to make about what orders were actually good orders to take in this new format and new way of doing business. Right. I got it. I got it. You mentioned engineering there for a second. I, I noticed that you named the company after John A. Roebling, who is the famous 19th century engineer. He was the, the project lead on the Brooklyn Bridge, among other things. Yep. So what is the connection? Why did you name the company, even though you spell it differently, after this, this 19th century engineer? That's a, that's a great question. Thanks. I was actually sitting in a restaurant with a dear friend of mine talking about starting the, this business. And behind him, in my view, was this amazing, beautiful bridge that was all lit up. Yeah. And I asked about it. My friend was a history buff or is a history buff. So he, he told me about John Roebling and how he built this bridge as a prototype for the Brooklyn Bridge. So the bridge in, this is a bridge in Cincinnati. So this, that, that bridge, John Roebling Bridge, was a prototype for what eventually became the Brooklyn Bridge. So I thought this was a really cool story. Bridges are cool. The story is fascinating. Bridges are important to our society by bringing people and things together. I liked the way the word sounds. And then... I believe that bridges are also a great metaphor for what we do. We bridge people and data to insight. Right, right. Oh, that makes total sense. And I love the engineering connection too. There's a lot of talk about data engineering. There's a lot of talk about data science. Walk us through that. You're on the data engineering end of this. How do you contrast the two and why is data engineering so important? Well, I would would also put in all the talk about AI and and machine learning into into the equation for why data engineering is important. So I would liken this to to driving a Ferrari on a dirty, bumpy road. It just doesn't work very well. You need a paved road or you need the infrastructure for technology to work properly. Study after study shows that analytics and data science work are impeded because of the lack of clean and organized data. 
Right. I would add integrated to that equation as well. You can't have your data scientists doing data janitorial work like combining and cleaning data sets in Python. Right, right. We fix all that with our data model, our data transformation routines, and our knowledge of the industry to get it right the first time. So how important is data engineering? I say we won't realize the benefit of AI, machine learning, or even an analytics until we solve the data engineering problem. Right, right. So basically, you deliver to the data scientist the data they need in the schemas that are most useful and flexible for them. So they can put their algorithms against them and do their queries against them. And, and, and it's like you're teeing it up for them, it sounds like. That's right. If you if you ask them what the first thing that they that they normally do in any data science project, it will be to find, then gather, and then clean and organize data. And so we do all that in our system for them. And so it's ready sitting there for them to 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 get to the more interesting stuff, which is creating the the right algorithm and honing the models for whatever whatever purpose they're doing in AI. Hey, let's explore the partnership with Snowflake a little bit. How did that emerge and what form has it taken? Well, we chose Snowflake really from day one because they had the only show in town in terms of a truly cloud-based elastic data warehouse platform. Mm -hmm. That was when there was really only a few hundred people working at Snowflake. Now Snowflake's public, there's thousands of employees and they're taking over the data warehouse world and transforming it with unique capabilities like data sharing. And what we at Roebling, we're lockstep with Snowflake as they evolve. And so for instance, Snowflake has adopted the Roebling data model as the Snowflake standard for retail and CPG. And they have also made a financial investment in Roebling through the Snowflake Ventures division. So as Snowflake moves to a more industry-related go-to-market strategy, we will be an important part of the story because of our industry focus and our partnership with them. Yeah, yeah. Now, I believe you use the Snowflake data marketplace, correct? Yes. Okay, talk about that. How do you and your clients use that? So the marketplace is a very interesting innovation for, for Snowflake because it builds off of their unique capabilities of data sharing. And it's in its first versions, it's it's bringing uh, data providers together with people who would be able to use that data. And so what we have is a standard data model that backends that, that people can comply with either on the data provider side or the data consumer side so that that data can join more easily. So basically what we're doing is making the data cloud a whole lot more productive. Hey, I want to get down to the nitty gritty here a bit. And Graham, I'd like to ask you this question. I want to help our listeners understand the practical flow of business and data in the retailing industry. Give us a scenario. Say a retailer is making the move to the data cloud. After they do so, how do they use Roebling to move and format their data? And, and what happens next? What's the payoff that they get from all of this? Sure. So as uh, Jeff mentioned, retailing is a very complex operational business to run with a myriad of decisions required by thousands of employees. But it's, at its simplest level, retailing is about people buying stuff. Um, so those people are the shoppers and that stuff is the product. And when retailers are making their decisions, they want to understand as much as they can about those people, the shoppers, and about the products that are being demanded by the marketplace so they can work out what products to buy 
what quantities to buy them in, how to move those products through the supply chain, and then how to serve their customers in the stores. So if you've got a lot of different systems that don't talk to each other, that whole end-to-end process becomes very complex. So what we found is that retailers have three key areas that they need to address from this perspective. The first is they need to have a, a data platform that brings all of that information together. And Snowflake is a, a great solution for that. I've worked in the past with a lot of retailers where they only had the sales data at store, skew, week level because that was all they could handle in their systems. Well, over time, that's not become adequate. So they needed to get down to the transaction level and the basket level so you can see what items are purchased in which baskets together and what price was paid and all those things. And then you need to attach a customer identifier to that so you can understand what customers are purchasing. And then you also need to combine your inventory data. So you need a data platform that can bring all of that information into one system. And historically, there just wasn't the solution available to enable that until solutions like Snowflake came along. So Snowflake is fantastic at bringing all of those components together and putting them into one system. And I'll give you just sort of one practical example as to why that's important. If you can't line up your sales rate data from your sales information with your inventory levels, you might run into an unexpected out-of-stock situation. Whereas if you can actually line up your sales rate data, I sold this number of items in this store over this last day, with your inventory data and says, I have this number of items available in that store or in that warehouse, then you can start to see in three days' time, I'm going to be out of stock. I need to address that issue straight away. So that's why it's important to bring together those different data elements into one data platform. And Snowflake is the best we've seen out there at solving that problem. On top of that, though, you need a data model to make everything consistent. And that's where Roblink comes in. Now, before I started working in retail, some of the challenges of retail data were not at all obvious to me. One that I found which was surprising but then made sense to me is around the area of costs. Now, you'd think that when a retailer buys an item from a supplier, it has a cost associated with it, and that would be the end of it. You'd be able to take that cost of goods, you'd be able to work out what your gross margin is, and that would be simple. The problem is retailers oftentimes have multiple cost elements in their internal systems. So sometimes there's one retailer I worked with where they had a list cost, then they had a net cost, Mm. a net net cost, and a dead net cost. So if you have different people in different parts of your organization not using the same cost to calculate gross margin, you have people that are talking past each other. So that's one example where Roebling standardizes all of that. They have all the standardized hierarchies. They have all the standardized metrics. They have the standardized timeframes. So everybody's talking about the same thing in the same way so decisions can get made consistently. Then once you've finished with the data model piece, you then need to make that information available to the business decision makers. So you need a reporting solution on top of that to give the business decision makers access to the insights and information that they need on a very timely basis. So I think about that as putting the data and insights at the fingertips of business decision makers in a way that enables them to make the best possible decision in the shortest possible amount of time. So you need solutions across those three different areas in order to be effective across all your different functional areas in the high-paced changing environment that is retail. But then on top of that, you also need to be able to collaborate. And this is where that collaboration, the data marketplace comes into play. And I think about that in two ways. There's an inbound data feed that retailers need access to. So take something like geodemographics. 
it used to be that you would get that sent over as a, it used to be on a, a DVD or a CD that would be sent over and you'd load that into your internal system. Now all of that can be available online. You can just connect it in the cloud. You've got things like Google Analytics. When you're doing digital marketing, you can see clickstream information. You can receive that and incorporate that into your process. And then you have data syndicators like Nielsen and IRI who have market level information about what's going on in the marketplace. And you can all connect to all of that in the cloud. That's on the inbound side. On the outbound side, you've got to, the ability now to communicate effectively with suppliers. So over the years, there's been a number of different attempts at improving the efficiency between the retailer and the supplier so you don't end up with supply chain shocks because the retailer makes a decision that the supplier didn't expect and all of a sudden the demand and the volume sold goes through the roof on a product and all of a sudden the supplier can't adjust their factory manufacturing process, they can't adjust their logistics process and you end up with an out-of-stock situation and you end up with unhappy customers and you end up lost sales. So the collaboration piece is the overarching piece that goes along with the data platform, right. the data model and the reporting suite. So I want to continue with you, Graham. And let's go up about 40,000 feet. Let's go up the high level now. To say that the retail industry is in turmoil is an, is an understatement, obviously. There's this massive multi-decade switch of retailing online there's all the tremendous success of amazon we got kind of the the multi-channel retailing uh, elements that make it even more complex and then we got these disruptions caused by covid give us the big picture here this is an industry in transition some of the the changes are are hopefully just a couple of years others are multi, could be decades where do you think this is going yeah you, you raise a really great point there Steve, retail has, has been under a lot of pressure for a number of years. That's accelerated a lot in the last couple of years. It used to be that retailers could get away with basically saying to the, the shopper base, here are the products I'm stocking, you come to my store and I'll fulfill your needs. Well, that dynamic is completely flipped on its head. It's no longer the manufacturer gives the product to the retailer, the retailer stocks but the customer buys it. The shopper is now the king. And if you don't meet the shopper's needs, then they'll go elsewhere and they'll likely tell everyone on social media platforms about the prospectus, right. which is a magnifying negative effect. So retailers have to understand that the shopper is now king and they have to adapt to that. And the, the start of this was back when Walmart started to drive major change with their everyday low price model. And then added on top of that was the rise of Amazon. All of a sudden, I don't know, you may know this, Steve, Jeff may know this. I was actually surprised to learn this. Amazon's original slogan was, they wanted to be Earth's most customer-centric company. Right. So it wasn't about online or anything. It was about being the most customer-centric company. And because of their business model and the fact that they knew each individual customer and all their transactions, they could do a really good job of understanding customer needs and then making sure they were delivering a customer-centric offering. That increased the competitiveness in the retail marketplace by orders of magnitude and then non Amazon retailers had to work out, how do I compete with this? How do I catch up with this? So it accelerated all of that change. Retailers had to put an online offering out there. They had to become digitally savvy, work out how to do on digital advertising and work out how to handle interactions online, monitor social media platforms. And then along comes COVID. And you end up with two years change in the space of a few months. And right. they all of a sudden had to massively embrace online they overnight went from the stores being open to the store being closed and now they had to adapt and say okay stores are now going to be fulfillment centers 
and I'm going to be able to have to offer curbside pickup, buy online, pick up in store, and I'm going to have to make sure all my online offering is really up to standard because the interesting thing about online is the shoppers don't look at another retailer and say, how's your online presence compared to my online presence? They look at the best online experience on the marketplace, which in a lot of the cases is Amazon itself. And they say, well, if I'm getting that from Amazon, I expect that from you as well. So retailers have had to respond to that. They've adapted, I think, tremendously well over the last few years. They've become very agile from an operational perspective, and it's forced them to up the game. Because one thing the retailers are used to is a highly competitive environment. So they've done a really good job of adapting to that. And there was there was one of our clients that we worked with, and it was a, a great example of Snowflake, Roebling, and Logic all working together with this major retailer. We'd actually just implemented Snowflake and Roebling with this retailer right before the pandemic hit. And this retailer, one of the senior supply chain executives said to us, because of this Snowflake, Roebling, Logic solution that you guys have implemented for me, there isn't a question that I have that I can't answer with this solution. And as a result, this retailer has had one of the best performances of any retailer during the pandemic. And they're very well positioned now to capitalize on that with accelerated growth as they come out of the pandemic. So it's up to game, it's up to stakes, and some retailers are doing a great job with it. Yeah, it seems like COVID, on top of everything else, has really forced retailers to be more flexible and innovative on the fly than ever before. And it seems like technology has been has played a vital role in enabling that. Hey, so Jeff, why don't you talk about how important data management and data analytics are to the industry, especially now. And what are some of the new technology trends that you see like coming now and even in maybe the next few years? Sure. So as the as the environment for retail gets more complex, as as I had mentioned before and had and Graham had described very elegantly just now, the need for analytics and data management as a result of that becomes greater and greater. Because there's no really one system that's going to handle all of this complexity. There is, there are all these different ways that that retailers have adapted to the changing world, and one of those ways is to implement new systems for for that. So when they have questions about what to do next with all of the change that happens, they need something that that answers those those questions, and that's essentially what we do in partnership with Logic and Snowflake. Mm -hmm. And so where is it going, you, you ask? Yeah. It's going, what Graham had described with the, with the strength of Amazon's approach and the focus on customer is what every retailer is now trying to do, just as he said. And what's also been so interesting, especially in, in COVID, is the increase in, in advertising digitally. So because of the information that's available, you're able to target your advertising much, much more finely than ever before. And so that could be time of day, day of week, but then also who and what you deliver to them in a personalized experience becomes also possible. So some people think that maybe the target advertising is a little bit creepy and it's going to change with all of the regulations around cookies and that kind of thing. However, I think it adds value to our experience when retailers know us better. And so 
retailers are now adding in that that component to the way that they merchandise, to, to the way that they stock their stores, to the way that they talk to you. And I think that that's actually getting us closer to where we should be, which is a very personal experience with, with our retailers. That is really interesting because in a way, the cookies are the crutch and also a blunt instrument, if I can mix metaphors. Because if you're just basically using cookies to figure out what a person is doing, it's a bit of a mystery. And why not engage with them directly and gather information around them from your direct engagements? And I think it seems like that takes a more sophisticated level of technology and analytics. But in the end, it's going to be more satisfying for the customer and probably more profitable for the retailer, I would guess. I so. totally agree. And gone are the days, like Graham said, where, where a retailer can just purchase a bunch of product or create or manufacture a bunch of product, put it in stores and have it sell. That's not the way we do it anymore. We've got, we've got to think with a customer first approach and then hone it based on what the customer is telling us. And so more sophisticated, yes, as you said, every retailer, every CPG company needs, it's also its own customer database. Right. So that you can use that database to know better who your customer is. We've got some great examples from our customers where, for instance, one of our customers was stocking vinyl, but in some stores it wasn't selling that well. And they said, well, why don't we just get rid of it? I don't even think that's serving our core customer. So because we're records, right? That's probably... Guys like me, <laughs> wasn't that wasn't the core, <laughs> the core customer? It turns Older out older than thirty, right? Yeah. Right. When they when they analyzed when they analyzed the transactions as well as the customer information, they realized that no, as a matter of fact, it's there's a lot of thirteen to fifteen year old girls that are buying vinyl, and so oh, that is my core customer. So let's not get yeah. rid of that. That would be a big mistake. So this is the kind of thing that we need to pay more and more attention to. I was just going to add another example there to build on Jeff's example. Yeah. So when retailers make assortment decisions, oftentimes they'll, they'll do what they call stack and rank, and they'll rank all their items based on sales, and they'll cut off the tail. So the ones down the bottom that don't sell a lot. What we oftentimes find, though, is the ones down the bottom that don't sell are oftentimes very important to your most loyal customers, and there's not another item in the assortment that they would substitute in for that option. We oftentimes find it's items somewhere in the middle of their stack that actually do have other items that will be substitutable for a customer. So you're oftentimes better keeping those ones down the bottom that are more valuable to your most loyal customers and don't mm. substitute and making some changes in the middle of the section where they've got high substitutability and aren't necessarily important to your most loyal customers. Mm. Because to, to what you and Jeff were both saying, I have a, a belief that the, the retailers the best satisfy customer needs will win in the market. If you're doing a really good job of satisfying your customer needs, why would they go somewhere else? But there's two fundamental components that underpin that. The first is you actually have to understand what your customer needs are. So you need the customer data to be able to do that analysis. And then secondly, you actually have to be able to take actions so you can consistently satisfy those customer needs. So if you don't have the data platform, the model, and upon which you can build the analytics, you won't get to that level of understanding. And unless you can actually get to actionable and executable insights to satisfy customer needs, you won't be able to win in the marketplace with shoppers so you can continue to earn their loyalty 
and grow your business in a profitable way. So in some regards, there's a, there was a personal example I had recently, which I don't know if any of you will be able to relate to this, but my kids, after the holidays, when they were going back to school, they actually had to have a, a COVID test before they went back to school. So I went online to one of the big drug chains to see who had the home test kits online. And I found my local store that had it. And I was like, great. And there were some other stores that were out of stock, but this store had. So I drove up to the store. And when I got up to the store, there was a handwritten note had been stuck to the door saying, we are sold out of right. at-home test kits. And I was like, well, that's frustrating. And the problem with that is the retailer didn't have the systems in place to update their data in real time and then connect it to their inventory that then connected to their website so they would tell me that it was out of stock. So that's why you need these data platforms. You need them to be real time. You need all the systems to be connected so you can get that experience to be what your customers want it to be. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. One of the themes that keeps coming back in our conversation today is just how complex this situation is. And I think what makes it even more complex is because you've got two industries, retail and consumer packaged goods, that are really wedded at the hip. Their supply chains, their distribution chains make up this vast global network, but one industry owns one end and the other industry owns the other. And of course, right now, they're experiencing these, these incredible disruptions because of COVID. We read about all these all these ships backed up in the harbors out west or, or, or in New Jersey, things like that, causing incredible disruptions and, and outages and stuff like that. So how do these two industries, how do they connect much better and, and create a, a global nervous system where they all share information? What's going on right now? And, and I'm really asking you, I guess, uh, Graham, at this point, because Jeff answered this partly with his with his answer. But how do you see technology helping solve that problem, the, the problem, and also the opportunity of the vast global network? Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. They had a, a system called Retail right. Link, where they would actually release their sales data to the suppliers, and the, the whole intent of that collaboration was to drive cost at the supply chain, and right. they were. They were pretty successful at it in terms of what's called replenishment inventory, which is just your ongoing natural inventory, where it sort of struggled was on the promotional side, where you get these massive spikes in demand when a promotion was running the store, and then it would have this massive ripple effect all the way through the supply chain. You then had companies like Dunhumby working with Tesco in the UK and Kroger in the US, where they started to provide more information available. And it used to be a portal they had where you could go in and submit your request. And then you would wait a few hours while it ran in the background and then you would get it back in an Excel spreadsheet. And that was the form of collaboration in the past. But you couldn't really do a lot with that at the time other than just sort of understand small snippets of data. With the advent of the cloud, this whole process becomes much more efficient. And you can reap the supply chain benefits if you have visibility into not just your replenishment situation, but also your promotional situation where you you share the promotional plans and the promotional forecast back and forward. But then you can also go further and you can collaborate around what items should be in which stores and what the consumer trends are going to drive new product innovation. So you can collaborate on product innovation. And then the latest trend that's taken off is around the marketing side of things. So their initial steps on the marketing side were the suppliers were given access to personalized customer marketing campaigns that the retail would execute with their customers and the suppliers would participate and they would line up their 
respective marketing budgets, and then they would have a good sense of what that would do to demand so they could line up the supply chains with the factory production schedules. And now that's sort of evolved beyond that, and you've got the development of these things called retailer media platforms. And now the latest version is a, a retailer marketing platform because you've got retailers with these online properties or e-com sites that have massive audiences going to them on a very frequent basis with the exact customers that the suppliers are interested in as well as the retailers are in. So instead of the suppliers spending inordinate amounts of money on untargeted advertising or media advertising that might not reach the right customers and there's a lot of wasted, now they can be laser focused on the customers that they're going after and those needs because they can partner with the retail. So you've got this collaboration around marketing going on where you're lining up the different marketing budgets and you can be more, to Jeff's point, you can be right. more personalized and targeted in the communications that you send out. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, we're coming to the end of our podcast and at the end, we like to have a lighter note to get a little personal. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real, up close and personal. So I have a, a topic for each of you. I'm going to start with you, Jeff. I see that you have some racing car experience. Would you mind telling us about that? And tell us how you use data in racing. Yes. Well, I had the distinct pleasure of being a pit crew member on a Formula Atlantic back in the late 90s. Right. Uh, but it was not very glamorous, I must tell you. I was in college at the time, so the guys that ran the pit crew made me basically wash the tires. You weren't the data scientist then. You, no, I was not. <laughs> I was definitely the grunt. Uh-huh. I also started a team that built a formula-style car from scratch, which is a, which was a really cool project. So about data, back then, we honestly didn't have that much during the race day that I saw at all. We had a lot of tech that was dedicated to engine tuning, so fuel curves and stuff like that on the, on the dynamometer. But today, it's different because we have telemetry tech and sensors on everything like braking and turning Gs and all that. So what that does is it helps the car and the driver in what I think is exactly the same way that data helps retailers and CPG. You get feedback on performance, where you made mistakes, where you have opportunities, and it points you to the future actions and how you optimize a complex machine. No, it's interesting that the whole metaphor of tuning, I think, is something that has run through our conversation today. The technology really enables people to know things much more and yeah. to and to fine-tune their offerings and their understanding of a particular customer. So that's really cool. So, Graham, I know you played soccer at a high level in the university, and it's it's been a few decades, so I'm sure things have changed a lot. And when we talked earlier, you talked about how how data and analytics has just transformed professional soccer. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, soccer is, like most team sports, you need a group of people to come together with a common purpose and to all be working together and pulling in the same direction. When I was playing, there was a large element of individual responsibility that came with that, with the manager standing at the side and cajoling, put it nicely, uh, all the players to to work together. (laughs) There's been a massive evolution in that. I'm sure you and a lot of the audience will have heard of the the novel and the movie Moneyball, which started out with the Oakland A's and all the analytics that they applied. And 
the people at the Oakland A's then went to the Boston Red Sox and Fenway Sports Group is the owner of Boston Red Sox and they actually also happen to own my favourite soccer team in the UK, Liverpool Football Club. Uh-huh. And they brought those analytics to soccer and the analytics are used in a lot of different ways. So just as Jeff was saying, the race cars have sensors all of them. Now the top professional players wear these sensor vests mm. during practice and during games. And those vests track exactly where they are on the field. They track how much they've run. They track how fast they run, how many power moves. There's other vital signs that they also track. So that allows not only fine-tuning what goes on during the game at halftime, the coach can turn around to players and say, hey, our shape isn't quite right. There's too big a space between you and you. So they're getting through there. So they can use it in real time. They can also track it from a sports science perspective and identify when players are potentially reaching the point where they may be about to have an injury because they're overstressing their muscles and maybe they have to take them off. Or maybe they say, hey, the next couple of games you need to sit out. You've been pushing it too hard. And then just like the Oakland A's example with Moneyball, all of this data is now used when people are trying to acquire new players and say, do they have the same attributes that we need to fit into the way we play and the other players that we have on the team? So I actually am thrilled at the fact that my two passions are colliding here. I've got my soccer and my analytics coming together. So it's hugely exciting to see that in that walk of life. But I think every walk of life is going to see the benefits of analytics coming forward and the data profusion that we see out there from all the different sources are going to fuel that. So we just need to make it available in a way that people can take advantage of it to maximize their chances of success. That's interesting. It's like you're fine-tuning your life, your professional life, but also you're fine-tuning your life as just living it too. So that's, that's something that I think that hopefully we'll see some benefits for the consumer in the future. When I look back on our conversation today, we've really had some interesting themes. We talked about complexity, and we've talked a lot about partnerships between companies like Snowflake and and Roebling and Logic, and between players and industries, the retail industry, CPG industry. And I think it's, it's just a reminder of how important partnerships, those connections, and the collaboration between companies has become kind of in modern business, certainly in retail and and CPG, but actually across all businesses. So I feel like you guys have given some really good insights, not just for people who are interested in in retailing, but really for people in any industry. So this has been really cool. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com slash data dash cloud dash world dash tour.